Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of the Snyder Cut. I am your heartbroken host this week, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. But to cheer me up, to get me out of my doldrums, I brought two guests along this week. We have the creators of the sci-fi animated series, Sci-Fi The Network, I mean, uh, Matt Bass and Teddy Bressman. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Why are you heartbroken? Oh, it's stuff with stuff with the the lady. Oh, yeah. it's it's, it's been quite that. a journey, quite a journey. So, uh, but you know what? I'm still here. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I've <laughs> taken a licking. I'm still ticking, and now we get to talk about the poll. So, before we we talk about the show, tell me how you guys like met up and and linked up as as a writing team. Um, first of all, I feel like we're about to enter the summer of love. So. Oh, God, I, I hope so. Yeah, hope it's so. going to be a great summer <laughs> for you, man. Uh, the, uh, we both worked as assistants for Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Um, and then they kind of like put us together to write our first spec script uh, to like 2013 or something that we sold. And then that almost got made. But since then, we've kind of just been uh, getting jobs and sort of like working our way up. And this is, this is our first series that we've created. So uh we're, we're pretty stoked um, to finally like have something produced after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so you guys have been writing since, together since 2013, really. Um, yeah. and, and this uh, animated series, it's an, it's an adult animated series. It is, uh, it, it is crass to the extreme, which is, you know, I think what we, we need to laugh these days. So tell everybody for the folks at home who, who don't know about it yet, what is the poll? Describe it. Uh, the Pole is an animated show that is set on the North Pole, and it follows the drama of the Pole the other 364 days a year. So the, the long lead up to Christmas. Um, now, that is the very basic pitch of the show. Uh, but really, what we try to do is delve into the kind of succession Game of Thrones vibe of the war to wear the suit <laughs> yeah we were we definitely like for us like we were we 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 were thinking that like um there's been obviously like not a lack of christmas shows <laughs> over the years but we were thinking the one thing that hasn't necessarily been done is like examining what it's like the rest of the year and i think that like that gave us a pretty um like fun sort of um like entree into yeah like a more uh two-layered political satire about uh about like what it takes to like run a government essentially um uh on a very local level so it's kind of yeah it's 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 an interesting show i i think because it really hopefully exists on two levels like it's super filthy but it's also um hopefully in some ways like um resonant with um some of the things that are going on in america right now which was did you guys grow up celebrating christmas or either of you jewish or oh, we're uh, jewish man to create a show about santa claus absolutely well that was like one of the things like when we very at the very beginning of, of creation of the show was we'd never really seen an r-rated Santa, like you, you've seen Bad Santa, but Bad Santa is not about Santa Claus. It's about a guy, you know, dressed right. as a Santa. 
Um, but no one's really crossed that line. And, you know, Batman kind of did it recently. Um, but again, like, while there was, it was R-rated for violence, it wasn't R-rated right, for like, yeah. the Santa yeah. character was, you know, pretty much, you know, down the middle, a little grizzled because of, you know, that man whose name shall not be spoken. Right. Um, but yeah, but for us, it was like, it, it, it takes two Jews to really upend the, the, the myth of, of Santa Claus. We, we don't have any positive associations with Christmas. So there's, there's no, uh, there's nothing to be like, there's no pedestal for us. But, and what's crazy is like, when we first went around pitching the show, we discovered a lot of people you know, hold Santa with such high regard. Like, you, Santa can't have an affair. Santa can't do <laughs> drugs. And it's like, Santa's not real, you know? Right. <laughs> he can be whatever we want him to be. Um, I mean, I, I as, a, as a Jew myself, I sort of grew up envious of the kids who celebrated Christmas. For sure. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be a part of that. And I do like that this show is coming off, uh, coming out, like, outside of the holiday corridor. Yeah, you just get bombarded with the holiday stuff uh, around November, December. I, I like that when this is coming in. Well, by the way, what is the date for the folks at home? It's it the, it premiered like last week, um, okay. and it's every Wednesday night on Sci-Fi for the next like four weeks. Or it's like a six it's like a six episode uh, season. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically what we're what we were trying to do, especially in the pilot, is like the the first like uh, like real scene it takes place on christmas eve and then i mean who who the fuck knows how many seasons we're gonna get this show but like our goal is to basically never have christmas on in the show except for maybe the series finale um, I, I like that that's that's, that's clever yeah but it's um, like uh who knows? yeah I, know. <laughs> I mean talk to me about assembling the voice cast because you got a bunch of like snl veterans and, and like julian bell's hilarious to walk us through the, the cast and how they came to be yeah, we got, I mean, we got really lucky with the cast. I, you know, it all just kind of fell into place. Um, you know, starting with Bobby, you know, one of the challenges again is like, you know, we're going to upend the, the myth of Santa in, in a pretty aggressive way. And, you know, who's comfortable doing that? And Teddy was watching the movie Sisters one, one night and he sends me a text. He's like, Bobby Monaghan on cocaine is fucking incredible and we're like all right let's get that guy because <laughs> <laughs> it is like it's like there's like i feel like there's that scene in boogie nights like where like with john c riley and Wahlberg, and like there's not other than that like that many hilarious cocaine scenes in like the canon of film history um <laughs> and like bobby really did it in sisters like it's i i like that movie but um I, that performance was like the thing that stayed with me over the years um so yeah I, and then like i mean julian is someone that we've always had like incredible respect for like i think especially when we were starting out like i mean a, a couple of our scripts we like just wrote like Jillian as the character name because like we always kind of like wrote for her voice so mm -hmm. getting to write for her here is like was for me like an incredibly fulfilling experience because also like we give Gretchen like in my opinion the most complicated dialogue and she just really crushed it and also she sort of like um in her interpretation of just the the 
leader of the nice union, this little elf Ebba that she also plays, like she just like came at it with a certain like Karen style voice that like <laughs> made us be like, fuck, we got to write this character like into the series in a, in like a impactful way. And like that character ultimately becomes an enormous player in like the battle for the North pole. Um, Tim Simons is like, uh, I've been friends with him for a really long time and I've like been dying to work with him over the years. And he was the first person that signed up to do it. Um, mm -hmm. And like, I think that he commands so much respect in the comedy community that like that immediately allowed us to like um, have like us a, a little bit of like initial credibility as we were going out to cast. And, and we're also working on a movie with Colin Jost. Um, right. Because like our, yeah, he plays like the news reporter, which is kind of like, somewhat meta take on weekend update though i'm not sure what the perspective is necessarily <laughs> um but the uh, but when we showed him like a clip of his of of his character doing cocaine he was also in immediately so i guess cocaine is a powerful yeah. drug <laughs> that's, how, that's how the cast well, he, well it's so funny because we yeah. were writing with him one day and he was like you know if i if you need me for anything like i'd love to do it let's like let me know um and we're like yeah we'll, we'll probably take you up on that offer and then <laughs> we left his house and we're like we have to take him up on that offer like <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. let's fucking yeah. get him exactly if he gives you that opening you, you gotta yes. take it yeah <laughs> i mean what do you, why do you guys think adult animation is, is sort of having this moment in the marketplace right now because it does seem like everybody's trying to to develop in you know in, in that mature direction i mean for me like i think there's two things about it i think like a it was pretty insane making the show during the pandemic because like we really like were in production exclusively during like uh shelter at home and quarantine. So like it was a, like, in some ways it was like, um, I feel grateful that we were working on the show this year. Cause like it, it was, it gave us like a direction for the year in a sense. But I think like from create, from a creative standpoint, like I think that, for I mean for us and it's kind of like speaks to what we were talking about a second ago like in terms of like the ability to to like um write on two levels at the same time like you really can balance like um I think more out there and comedy with like um a level of uh like like a level of um um, either social commentary or like I think about the way Bojack kind of vacillated between like incredibly funny scenes and then like pretty depressing but like um, insightful character work and I think that because you can go so wild with the humor and like um, it, it, I think that that allows you to sort of like have flexibility with storytelling in a way that I personally like really found um, fulfilling and and uh, challenging at the same time which was cool. I mean, was, yeah, because like Rick and Morty doesn't work as live action, right? Like, <laughs> you just you get just like the most insane action set pieces, the most insane out there comedy. But like some of those episodes are just deep, you know, and and the subject matter is incredible. Um, and then say for, you know, like a movie like Sausage Party, which is is something that we kind of were around when when Seth and Evan kind of birthed that idea of you know that juxtaposition between here's a cute image and here's our r-rated style of comedy 
Um, you know, and like that movie was able to tell, you know, a more meaningful journey about what is life and, 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 and the meaning behind all of that, right. uh, while also having an orgy with hot dogs and hungry <laughs> buns. Um, and again, like you can't do that in live action. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I imagine it's, uh, I, I, I'm imagining it, it's like as a tricky transition, but also a freeing one. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, because like one of the things we talked about is, again, like the the myth of, of Santa, like I think the subjects matter that, that we have in the show and the line we cross with, with some of these iconic characters, it would be much harder to do in live action. Um, obviously, you can't have walking, talking reindeer in live action, but even like that aside, just... I feel like if we had Santa doing cocaine, if it was like real, if it was actually Bobby Moynihan live in person doing cocaine, I think people would take more offense to that. Um, <laughs> and so you get that leeway in animation. Sure. What do you guys think is the future of, of comedy these days? Because I noticed that the studios, they're not making the Seth Rogen, James Franco movies or the Will Ferrell movies that they used to. And honestly, it, it, it worries me. And I don't know if those movies are going to make their way to the theatrical marketplace going forward or if they're just going to be streaming uh, fodder. So like, what do you guys make of where comedy sort of stands today and where it's going? I think that there, there is like an opportunity right now. And I, and I, I am very hopeful because the movie that we're writing with Colin right now, I think like fits into this box. Um, but like, I, I think that there's, I think that like from, in terms of the future of comedy, like the most important element uh, for like its longevity is 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 recognizing tone, and I think that like like coming out of the the uh, pandemic, I I really do think that people are going to be craving like more classic comedies that maybe like we sort of uh, were influenced by when we were coming up, and and I think that like there there is like an opportunity I think for theatrical big comedies like old school, like, like knocked up that, that haven't been um, that have kind of not like been released recently. But I do think that the, the idea of like um, knowing what you're going to get tonally and, and like having, having um, um this like window where I think that like people are maybe sick of like incredibly depressing, like um, true crime documentaries or like the things we've all been watching during this fucking pandemic. Like, I think that like right now in particular it is a unique time where I think people are gonna have an appetite to go to, uh, to, to actually show out for, for theatrical releases for like bigger movies like that. So, I mean, I might just be like optimistic, but I do think that, uh, that the next couple of years could be like a like a inflection point um, for the better, um, though. I mean, who, who knows? And like as someone who, who who tracks this development stuff, it does feel like Worst Man is one of the few sort of big comedies that are being developed at the studios these days. I mean, they they do action comedies or supernatural comedies, but just a straight we're here to make you laugh for an hour and a half, two hours. It's just few and far between. And. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a balls to the wall kind of, kind of comedy, and and it, it's been interesting, you know, to write it obviously in in today's climate. And our focus, you know, there's been passes of that script where there's 
you know, been a, a larger meaning, a larger context within society. Why make this movie now? Blah, blah, blah. And we've just like slowly been stripping that away and just like, this is a story about, you know, the friendship of, um, you know, Pete Davidson and Colin Joe. So basically the, the, the movie is, is Colin is getting married to Pete's sister. Pete therefore is the brother-in-law and it's like, Pete's the worst man. How does he ruin the wedding? Very basic, very clean. And it's just, it's just all comedy. It's just like putting these two guys together and letting them make magic. And, you know, hopefully we can get other, other people from, you know, the SNL cast or, or their close friends just to like really capture on that kind of shorthand they have, which is obviously what Judd and, and, and Seth and Adam McKay, all those guys did so well. Um, you know, we, we feel like we can kind of replicate it and just use just pure comedic energy to kind of really drive the film. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Um, I'm curious how, you know, how did like the, the WGA's battle with the agencies affect you guys at all? Did it, were you able to just go about and, and do your thing or, or was it like a weird time? We, um, we got kind of lucky. Yeah, we kind of like got, we, we really have been working on, it, 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 it kind of coincided with, the, with like uh, us getting into TV a little bit more. Um, and we sort of like got, a, we, we sort of, we, we sold this and we've been working on that um, for, for like a year. And then we, we staffed on, um, on this upcoming Hulu show uh, called Pam and Tommy, which Seth is in, um, which is going to be awesome. And, uh, and then we, we just finished working on Miracle Workers, um, which is also a person like a childhood dream of mine because I'm obsessed with, I was obsessed with the game the Oregon Trail and the season <laughs> on the Oregon Trail. So um, I think we got we we sort of been around for a while. That I think at this juncture in our career, a lot of our jobs come from like the relationships that we've built. So it wasn't it didn't affect us as much, but I don't I think that that might be a unique experience. Honestly, I think that everyone kind of had a, a, di a different experience with this. But I do I do get the sense that writers are pretty happy to be back with their agents and everything. But mm -hmm. that's what you think. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just like a weird thing because, you know, we had, we have such a positive relationship with our agents and to like awkwardly have to call them up one day and email them and be like, I guess you're fired, but we still yeah. like you. And you know, like throughout the pandemic, we're still texting with them and, you know, how- Not about work stuff though. Yeah, right. not about work stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Purely family, how, yeah. how the kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, like, like Tay said, like we, we were lucky in that, you know, we, we entered the Pam and Tommy room right as it was happening. So we had that job. The Colin job was al had already been sold, I believe, or at least was, it, it, it was in the works, so technically our agents were able to to help close we that We sold deal. that movie a while ago. I don't even remember. Yeah, we sold that before Pam and Tommy. Um, that's a long time. <laughs> writing fast. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah, so it's like, you know, like we already had everything that we've been working on had already been in the pipeline um, and we just didn't have the bandwidth to take on new work. So, gotcha. um, you know, it, it sucked, you know, 
I couldn't call them up and ask for tickets to a sporting event, but <laughs> then eventually the sporting events closed down. So, right. <laughs> 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 um, what are what are like some of the cool projects that you guys have been tapped to pitch on? Maybe gigs that you didn't get, but uh, was there any experience where it's like I can't believe I'm in the room, like even pitching an idea for this franchise or remake, reboot, whatever it is? I think what yeah. one, one, one comes to mind was the Hardy Hardy Man. Nice. Which was hard, the Hardy Boys now grown right. up. And it's an idea that had been around for a very long time. And I think like Tom Cruise and Ben Stiller at one point were attached to it. Um, and then it fell apart. And then they brought people in the pitch. And we pitched like the most insane, crazy, like weird sci-fi version of that. And they were like, we love it, but we just can't make this. Um, <laughs> And so, so that was, that was kind of a bummer, but it was really funny. Just like, you know, we like went to the bookstore and we bought a bunch of Hardy boys and mm -hmm. really studied. The I, think one yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the like one of the, uh, which what we, I definitely have some of those in my room right now. <laughs> Maybe that's the one. I mean, they all vaguely sound the same. It's like, uh, <laughs> like there's always like a lantern on the cover. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. The mysterious uh, caravan. But we were like, yeah, I mean, like one of the things that we try to do, which when we pitch on stuff is like, we sort of have our take and like our version of the movie that we would be very excited to write. Because like, I think that like over the years we've, when we've gone wrong, like we've done a couple jobs where we've like not really had a vision for what the movie could be. And it gets like, it's the development process in those situations become sort of like a push and pull. So like our style now is just to, kind of break what what general version we would want to um write for a movie and then just like go for it and if it if we get hired great and if not no but for that one like we it was like i think it was like a we had like magical realism and like the like the item that they found was like gave one of the hardy boys like magical powers <laughs> like, it was sort of like a funny yeah, damn. But it also had like got away. Yeah, it, it had yeah, like like I haven't yeah. thought about that in a couple of years. It had like it had a real heart to it though, because it was like a thing of like you know like it was like they wanted R rated, and it was like they they like, like you meet one of them and he's like a like a shitty CIA agent and the other one is like a shitty PI, <laughs> and you know it's like their lives have been fucked up because when you think about it like. And this was our approach. Their dad had them like solving crimes when they were 14 years old. Like, what does that do to a to a child, right? Kind of the same way of like, if a, if a child if a parent forces their kid into like acting, like as we've seen on you know on you know page six, it doesn't work out that well for these people. And right. it, so it's kind of like, where would these people be 30 years later? They would be messed up and they would have serious psychological issues and they would have daddy issues. And it's like their dad disappeared. And like over the years, you know, they like tracked him, like they tracked down, I believe he was passed. And it was just like them coming to terms with what it means to be brothers, what their dad really intended for them. And, and there was like a real like heart to it yeah. that we just absolutely loved and we still, we still carry a flame for that project. <laughs> I hope they circle back and, and, and make that one because I, I, I've been following that in development for ages and that always sounded uh, fun. Um, did you guys manage to see the Suicide Squad trailer uh, that went up an hour ago before you came on? 
I have not yet. No. Is it, how's it look? I mean, it looks like a James Gunn movie. It looks pretty uh, wild. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to work my way through uh, through the Snyder Cut, speaking of, of, yeah, uh, watch of Justice League. I'm on like day five. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing like 20 minutes a day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does it feel improved to you? Do, do, are you liking it? I, I don't know because I, I don't remember the first one that well. So it's like a weird deja vu experience because there's, there's, you know, there's scenes that are, you know, kind of the same. I'm like, have I seen this before? Where have I seen this? Was this in Batman versus Superman? I don't understand this. Yeah. Um, it seems really, it seems good so far. I mean, there's a lot of slow-mo that had you removed it, it still would have been epic and it would have been two hours. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, what was like the, the best thing that you guys watched or read during this, this pandemic? Any, any shows, movies, books? Bridgerton? Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> been on the Bridgerton gig. I I love I love Dave so much. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I thought that was the I just like I was obsessed with that show. Um I thought Devs was pretty tight too, but no one gave it any love. I mean, I could I I I think you've like opened a Pandora's box and I I could like literally list you now like 40 and series that I've loved over the last year. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, I really thought uh, Never Have I Ever was incredible too. Like okay. that, there were some, there were some shows that like came out early pandemic that I feel like people have forgotten about that were amazing, but like that show was great. Fuck. Yeah. What was like the, I mean, what was the tiger, the tiger, tiger King. King. that was like the, all the nostalgic rain. for that at this point. I know. It's like uh, that was like when I was like drinking heavily and like having the time of my <laughs> life. Like, <laughs> yeah, what else was there? What was your favorite? What got you through pandemic? Oh, geez. Uh, I mean, I love that fourth season of Fargo with Chris Rock. I thought oh, that was really good. I haven't, I haven't seen that yet. It's on my list. I gotta watch yeah. that. Um, let me, I gotta get your predictions. Ne- next week features a, a battle of heavyweights between Godzilla and Kong. <laughs> who, win? who is going to win this epic sh- uh, showdown? I think I think King Kong. Yeah, for sure, man. He's got a he's, heart. Yeah. He's got heart. Yeah, he's yeah. you know, he was torn from the jungle and brought to America, and he's just he's angry now, and he's gonna he's gonna fucking fight back, and he's gonna destroy Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. Plus, he has uh, thumbs. I, I feel like at some point <laughs> there, there's an advantage to having thumbs. <laughs> um, That's all right, so, going to come down to. <laughs> so the poll airs on, on Wednesday nights. Uh, I mean, you guys are still working at, uh, on the worst man script with, with Colin. Is there anything else in the pipeline or any, you know, any idea what, what else is coming next? We're we're slowly developing a movie with um with Point Grey and uh, and uh, Party over here, which we got to get. We're gonna work on that right after this, so we'll uh, hopefully we'll be able to pitch that soon. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I th- I mean, it's been like I think that we're hoping that we're hoping that we get to make Worst Man. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Pam and Tommy because that show is gonna be incredible. And uh, and yeah, I mean, like I, I've. I am under the impression that every single person played Oregon Trail for hours, like when they were a kid. But Absolutely. I don't know if that's true. Um, but 
but I do, we're, we're really good friends with the showrunners of, uh, of this season, uh, these Robert Patnick and Dan Merck. And they, um, they did a great job. Like that, to me, that shows pretty interesting. Cause like it really, I don't think people understand how challenging it is to like re, um, establish, um, worlds with entirely new characterizations every season. Um, and I think that show deserves more credit for what they do. And hopefully this season, they really, um, get that credit because like they, they those guys have done a great job with the season so cool uh, it's actually coming off of creating our own show it's actually incredibly stupid what they do is having <laughs> to the hardest yeah. part is developing the characters and they yeah. have to do it every single time yeah. from scratch um they do it which is guys go ahead guy i didn't mean no no, no I, I was just giving them kudos and respect um, before I let you go uh, and, and get into the news part of this podcast, our top story this week is about your old boss. Seth Rogen has been cast in Steven Spielberg's new movie as Steven's favorite uncle. W what do you make of this? Seth Rogen working with Steven Spielberg. Long overdue. <laughs> <laughs> Inevitability all along, huh? Yes. I, I, I can definitely see him as, as a, a, a nebbishy Jewish uncle. Is it, is it like an Uncle Buck type of movie? I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be. I don't think anybody is at this point, but it's going to explore Stephen's childhood. That is going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. I, I feel like Steven Spielberg has like a wacky, like comedic side to him that has not been explored yet. And I hope that that is what this movie is. <laughs> I hope so too. It's all about casting those, those young leads. Um, guys, thank you so much uh, for, for joining the show. The poll Wednesday nights, Matt Bass, Teddy Bressman. Have a wonderful weekend, guys. Oh, thank man. You. Thank you. Lot, <laughs> Good tidings to all. Yeah. Peace. All right. Peace, Matt. All right. There you go. The guys from the poll. And now I've got to fit an hour long show into the remaining half hour runtime. So here we go. As we discuss, Seth Rogen casts as Steven Spielberg's uncle in his uh, untitled coming-of-age movie. It's going to be him and Michelle Williams. So it's a take-this-waltz reunion of sorts. Um, yeah, Deadline broke this story. It was it was surprising. I mean, not that I don't... Like, I think Rogen is a pretty good actor. He doesn't really get the credit that he deserves. I thought he was excellent in, in uh, Steve Jobs as, as uh, Steve Wozniak. Uh, so I, I want to see Rogan taking more of these kinds of roles. I don't know if this is going to end up being like the, you know, comedic, you know, the, the guy who, who who they bring in to to deliver some humor and some heart, or if this is going to be a little bit more of a dramatic part. I don't know what the tone of the movie is going to be yet, but uh, the idea of Seth working with Steven is awesome. So congratulations to him. Um, as we, uh, as I mentioned in that interview, we didn't get to discuss it, but now we're going to. The Suicide Squad trailer has arrived. It is three minutes long and introduces a pretty fantastic cast. I mean, especially that last graphic where it's just like name after name after name after name. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And I do like that, like, they're adding, you know, some names of maybe some, you know, lesser known actors uh, but it, it shows the diversity of the cast. Like, okay, these guys don't have the, the, the A-list name of like an Idris Elba or Sylvester Stallone, but we still want to, you know, make clear that, that these people are in the movie and have significant roles. So, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was interesting the way that they kind of threw everybody in there at the end rather than just the stars. Uh, it looked good. I mean, I like, I've, I like 
what James Gunn does. I, I think he's a fun filmmaker. Um, you know, the tone, there were a lot of jokes. If you like, look back at like the original Suicide Squad trailer to like the 2016 movie or whatever. It's a lot more like heavy handed and and, self, and serious. Um, and, and so the tone here definitely, not, not that like the stakes aren't high because they are, they're life and death as the taglines on the 30 character posters we got today say, don't get too attached. Um, and, and I like that, that, that this movie can kind of keep you on your toes a little bit, although you know, you know, Harley Quinn and Peacemaker and uh, uh, Idris Elba's bloodshot character, they're not going anywhere. Is it blood, bloodshot? I don't even, I can't keep it straight. Deadshot, bloodshot, blood, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to like David Dasmalkian's character. I think Ro Michael Roker looks like a lot of fun in this. Uh, still feels like maybe a bit of a villain issue, just like the first film had with Cara Delvine and even the Joker who was barely in it. Like, who is the, the villain in this? Is it just a, a kaiju? Like, I mean, I know that, and, and kaiju just made me think of like Guardians of the Galaxy movies, like, I don't know. Um, so I didn't, I didn't love the trailer. Like I loved the, the first two Suicide Squad trailers, which were, you know, I started a joke which I think is one of the fucking best trailers I've ever seen. And then um, the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, that's, that's what they used. Uh, I've only seen the, the new Suicide Squad trailer once. So, I, you know, maybe after this podcast, I'll, I'll check it out again, kind of go through it with a fine tooth comb, a magnifying glass to see what I see. Um, but it, it definitely looks like, like we're, we're starved for these kinds of movies. Let's be serious. Like uh, just a big ensemble lot of action people dying uh, you know some good one-liners like i i'm pumped to to see this movie and hopefully i get a chance to see it on the big screen i, I know it's going to be a release day and date on hbo max and, and i think that um you know while we are the vaccines are opening up particularly in, in april and may you know i don't know if everyone will be vaccinated by august or whenever this thing is supposed to come out so it, I think it is nice to have that option, at least for a little while longer, uh, to watch this movie in your home. Um, but yeah, I want to see it on, on the biggest screen possible with a bunch of crazy DC fans who are just, you know, stoked to be there. Uh, speaking of the DC universe, Anne Sarnoff made it clear in her, in her follow-up interviews regarding uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League that there will be no A or cut of Suicide Squad. Uh, David Ayer actually tweeted, Why? with a, a cute little emoji, which I had a good laugh um, picturing him try to find which which emoji do I want to put next to this why tweet. Um, David, you know why. I mean, really, it's just because you don't have the the fan base that I think Zack Snyder does, the devoted fan base. Um, because if you did, th those fans could mobilize and demand an, an air cut. Um, maybe it's just a matter of like, well, we, we already have a new Suicide Squad, so I don't want to, like, create confusion in the marketplace by doing a, a new cut of the old Suicide Squad, particularly all the, you know, the new cast and everything. I mean, if there was, like, a new Justice League or something like that that was going to be coming out in a few months, I don't think Warner Brothers and HBO Max would have done this Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Uh, but, you know, that there obviously is not there aren't any plans to continue the Justice League as far as I know. And a lot of people were like, oh, now they're going to have to con continue the Snyderverse after the success of this. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I, I also think that like only like 1.7, 1.8 million people or so watched the Snyder cut in, you know, 
I don't even know if that's in its entirety. It might have just been like five minutes of the Snyder Cut as a statistic. As you just heard, you know, with Matt Bass, uh, you know, saying like this, I'm on day five. Like you just have to watch it in, in chunks because it, it is a lot unless you're one of those fans who like has an associate who considers themselves an associate producer, you know, and, and watched it back to back, which, you know, God bless Mike Kalinowski on the Schmodown, great dude. But like he said, he watched that movie back to back. I say we need to investigate people like, like Kalinowski, like anyone who's watching this movie back to back, it's totally lost their mind or just has absolutely nothing better to do, but whatever. Kalinowski, I love you. Um, elsewhere in the DC universe, this was another story that uh, had a little, Raise some eyebrows, okay? So Emerald Fennell, who is up for like three Oscars, uh, you know, for best director, best original screenplay, which she's tipped to win, and best picture for Promising Young Woman. She has been tapped to write the Zatanna movie. Now, you know, good for Emerald Fennell. This is what she wants to do. And it sounded like this, this deal has, you know, been closed for a while, according to Deadline. But if, it, if this is what she wanted to do, by all means, more power do it. You know, you've earned the right to do whatever you want. From, like, between her work on Killing Eve and Promising Young Woman, this woman has a super bright future. And, and I'm very excited about it. I, I think she's wildly talented. Um, you know, in my article, though, I was like, is this really what we, what we want from from Emerald Fennell, like it may be what she wants, and that, and that's great, you know. But but is it what we want? Is it what I want? No, I I had hoped that the you know it would be a twenty four taps Emerald to you know write an original movie, uh, you know, based on her original screenplay. Like I, I want more originals from someone who can actually do them. Um, I just feel like not that anybody can come in and write a comic book movie because I don't think that that's true. Uh, but I just hate, like, you know, Guy Lodge tweeted that the only, like, getting a superhero movie seems to be the only career promotion that cinema has to offer, that Hollywood at least has to offer. And he's not wrong. Like, I just don't understand this, this impulse that we have. We're like, we had, there's a great new artist on the scene. Hey, how quickly can we get them to make a, a comic book movie with superheroes? Like, that, that can't be the way that this industry thinks. I do not want our best and brightest voices penning B-list superhero movies, okay? And, and, you know, I don't know about Zatan. I've never read a comic. I don't know. You know, I, I only know that she's B-list because I know she's not A-list. She's not Superman or Wonder Woman or Batman over there for, on DC. I know she works, the character works, you know, closely with the Justice League or whatever, but it's, come on. It's, it's a B-list property. Uh, and so, you know, I wrote something to the effect of like, Someone like Catherine Bigelow, who you can bet has been offered countless comic book movies over the years, right? She never go, goes the easier. She does. She hasn't really sold out, and she hasn't really done those kind of big paycheck. She hasn't taken those big paycheck superhero jobs. Um, and more, I like. And so, you know, I'm just so impressed with with the fact that that Catherine Bigelow knows herself as an artist, and you know, d turns down those easy paychecks. And like, you know, it's been a while since Detroit came out, you know, maybe, cause that movie I didn't like, I thought it was bad. And maybe she has struggled to, to, to follow up Detroit uh, or, or get her next project off the ground. We don't even know what it is. I also like that Catherine gives her time to sort of find it, right? I, I mean, some people just love to work. You know, I don't, I don't care what I'm writing. I just, I want to be writing. And, and that's fine. Like people are different. 
Um, but so anyways, I, you know, I, there were some responses to that take, to that hot take on the situation. And, and I, you know, one reader, she, she had a, a good point. I didn't, I didn't want to block her on the basis of what she was really saying. But here, here's why I did block her. Because she goes, oh, great. Now, now here's a man, you know, weighing in on, on a woman's career opportunities. That is my job, okay? That's the fucking job. A man gets a job. A woman gets a job. I got to weigh in on it. A white person, a black person, it doesn't matter. So I don't need Twitter followers being, you know, like being like, you can say, fine, I don't like your opinion, Jeff, or the way that you phrased your opinion. But when you come at me and you're like, well, you're a man, you're not even allowed a fucking opinion on this. That's not how it works. Okay. We can't just have women weighing in on, on women, fil uh, female filmmakers we can't have men just weighing in on writing about male filmmakers and their choices. Like, so that's why she got the block. I'm not going to stand for it. I don't care anymore. I don't care if I go from 33,000 followers to 100 followers, okay? Because the 40 people who are there on Insider Plus, they want to be there. Um, so that that is what ticked me off about that response to that. And I think it's a totally valid take that I have. Like, yeah, I, I don't want Emerald Fennell to write a Zatanna movie. I want to see, I think she's super talented and I want to see something else from her. Give Zatanna to who gives a shit because who gives a shit about that character? Not me. I, I, you know, don't tell me what I am and am not allowed to have an opinion on. That's all I'm saying. We'll move on from, from that. And we'll talk about all the Disney moves, right? Uh, Black Widow got moved from May to July because May is still too early. We're not going to be ready in five weeks. Um, you know, Disney left Cruella where it is at the end of May. So Memorial Day is still sort of kicking off the big movies returning to, to theaters kind of thing. Um, of course, Cruella and Black Widow which is now slated to open in, in, in July, <clears throat> they will be available day and date on Disney Plus as well. Now, they're not going to be free. They're not going to be available at no additional charge like the HBO Max stuff. They will be behind the, the Premier Access paywall, which is you know, like a $30 price point, basically. Uh, and Disney also announced that Luca, Pixar's movie, is going to be going to Disney Plus only. That's not going to get a theatrical release outside of the United States. Or sorry, in the United States. Outside of the United States, it will get a theatrical release. Domestically, though, it's only going to be on Disney Plus. And it will be available for at no additional, I'm not, I wouldn't I want to say free because you still have to subscribe to that, but at no additional charge, just like Soul. So I think that what you're seeing Disney doing, and, and I, I don't know if it was maybe D David Poland who wrote about this, but they're triangulating the sort of data points for, you know, Disney Plus and, and the premiere access and what they can expect someone to, to spend that extra $30 on. Because you've got a Marvel movie, right? That's like a must see. And then you're going to have um, a live action Disney fairy tale, essentially, right? Uh, or a live action movie based on a, on a popular animated film that like that's half of Disney's slate you know is, is those kinds of movies whether it's Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella or whatever uh, so that's Cruella and then you have you know Pixar's a, a new Pixar movie that also is not um the the, the cast isn't Jamie Foxx on this one right 
It's uh, it, it is Jack Dylan Grazer and Jacob Tremblay. So you don't have to worry really about pissing off the talent by just sending that straight to, to Disney plus not that Jamie Foxx was pissed. I mean, he, he understood the situation in, in December where theaters just weren't open, but uh, I, I think you're going to still continue to see a lot of experimentation, you know, and then we still have to gauge what the appetite is for people to return to theaters. Right. Cause you can say, hey, we're open and, and people will come back, but how many people, right? And, and when, and for what? Will they just come in, you know, to, to watch some, some stupid movie? Are they only coming for the big movies? So that, you know, the movies that sort of feel like they were made for the big screen, will people come back to the theaters and, and particularly older audiences for like, you know, dramas and, and stuff like that, indies. So uh, I think, again, right now, it's just sort of a data collection period. And, and that's why, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of flexibility. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of ghost action with the video games this week. Kerry Fukunaga or Kerry Joji Fukunaga signing on to do Tokyo Ghost for Legendary. Chad Stahelski doing Ghosts of Tsushima for Sony. I didn't really play either of these games. Um, I think both of these guys are pretty talented, uh, you know, with respect to what they do best. Like Chad Stahelski is a great action director obviously um and Kerry Fukunaga is is one of the the better filmmakers that we have working today I think he's just a really smart guy uh, and so if he sees something in Tokyo Ghost that he thinks he could do you know make something special out of it like I'm not going to complain about these guys doing doing video game movies um yeah, I just I, I'm just not familiar with, with the games. Sorry, I'm picking this up, picking up this uh, video thing. Actually, I shouldn't, because Dad's gonna yell at me. Uh, okay, packages. Apple got the greatest beer run ever. This was a Skydance project. It was going to start Dylan O'Brien and Viggo Mortensen. Uh, it's from Peter Farrelly, so it was going to be a Green Book reunion. Not anymore. They're out. They got upgraded in a sense. So uh, Zach Efron is now taking over the part that Dylan O'Brien was going to play. I imagine Russell Crowe is taking over the part that Viggo Mortensen was going to play. And I guess they've got Bill Murray circling this one, you know, who worked with uh, Peter on uh, Kingpin. I still think this is a really interesting story. It's a true story. It's about a guy, you know, uh, from New York whose buddies were fighting in the war in, in Vietnam. And he would, you know, he was just like drinking at his bar one day. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that Bill Murray will be the bartender who sort of gives him the idea. But he's like, hey, you know, best thing you can do is just like get, get your buddies a, a cold brew in the middle of all this. And, and that's exactly what Zac Efron does. He goes off to Vietnam. I think he links up with a war reporter, uh, you know, like a time correspondent played by Russell Crowe, or, you know, who I imagine is Russell Crowe, who sort of, you know, opens his eyes as to what's really going on in Vietnam and, and the war. But uh, yeah, it sounds like a fun, a fun movie. Zac Efron doing the most epic beer run. Um, at first, I, I was wondering, like, was this a matter of Apple wanting bigger names, you know, to, to, to finance this project? But I, I checked with the source and it seemed like it was just a scheduling thing. I don't know what the scheduling is, like what would make Vigo and, and Dylan drop out of this movie? Uh, you know, what? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I buy the excuse, but that is that is the answer um, that they had scheduling issues. Uh, Netflix won a hot package from A24 that we talked about last week with uh, Stephen Yen and Ali Wong. We found out that it's called Beef. And I didn't see this coming because when you say Stephen Yen, Ali Wong, 
half hour sort of limited series, I would have figured they're married and, and, you know, kids are a handful or, you know, some sort of romantic thing. And that's not what beef is. It sounds like it's about two people who are involved in a road rage incident who become all consumed by it. That's a great log line. Uh, not who I maybe would have imagined for something like that, but sign me up. It, it sounds really interesting. I'm not, I'm not surprised Netflix uh, won, won that package. Uh, MGM took Combat Control with Jake Gyllenhaal starring and Sam Hargrave directing. That's the extraction director. Uh, that sounds like an interesting package as well. Um, was there any other big package news? Yeah, I guess not. I guess the, those were kind of the, the, the big ones. Um, okay, this one. This one I had thoughts on. Matthew McConaughey coming back for A Time for Mercy, a limited series on HBO, which he's going to reprise his role as Jake Brigantz from A Time to Kill. A Time to Kill is my favorite John Grisham movie. I love it. I think it's super rewatchable. I think he's magnetic in it. Like, it is a true, like, this guy is a movie star turn. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I wonder if that means, like, we're going to get Ashley Judd back. I think that would kind of be interesting. Maybe they've been divorced. I, I don't know. Ashley Judd is not what she was in, in the mid-90s. Um, she's lucky to be alive, actually. They, like, pulled her out of the jungle a few months ago. Uh, she, like, broke her leg or something. Um, but I, 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 I think this is, like, one of McConaughey's signature characters, in a sense. And I just love these kinds of legal dramas. Like, I, I, I dig Maddie returning to, yeah, I call him Maddie. Uh, I dig him returning to HBO for this. A uh, bunch of like comic book casting stuff. Ron Livingston in for Billy Crudup in The Flash. He's gonna be playing The Flash's dad. I also love the little boy that they got to play young Barry Allen in that. You can check out uh, you know, a photo of him on, on, on Insider Plus. Um, Ron Livingston, not exactly the same acting chops as Billy Crudup, but, you know, can, can he sit in a, in a jail cell? I don't know where the hell, you know, Billy Crudup, that, that character, uh, Barry Allen's father, if he's still going to be in jail or if he's going to be running around outside of the prison in this movie. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fine. I, I do like Ron Livingston. He doesn't really get the, the respect he deserves. Um, I just think it's tough. Anyone's going to have a tough time sort of feeling Billy Crudup's shoes that's just in name only because you know as far as the performance we've we've just seen little snippets of it in in Zack Snyder's Justice League basically like it's not like he's put his mark on on that character I think it was totally fine to to recast him I do wonder why Billy Crudup dropped out there like was it just a matter of he's tied to the morning show and and can't get away or was he like "Eh, this wasn't really what I signed up for the parts change the movies change the directors change blah blah uh, Helen Mirren, <laughs> moving from Fast and Furious franchise to Shazam, Fury of the Gods, in which she's going to play, uh, she's going to play the villain Hespera. Sure, Helen, I mean, Helen Mirren, great actress. It's a win for Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Do I think she, she's going to look silly up there? Probably. <laughs> but again, these actors got to eat, you know, they, they've got grandkids and, uh, summer homes to pay for so you know what helen Mirren, do your fucking thing girl uh pierce brosnan does another one cast as dr fate in black adam sure pierce i mean he's probably just like relieved to not be you know in some direct-to-video 
crap. Um, quite frankly, I mean, that's sort of where Pierce's career has been for a little while. He is in false positive, that Hulu horror movie that A24 produced. I am looking forward to that. Uh, maybe we see a little Pierce Brosnan renaissance of sorts. Uh, you know, th th it sounds like a, just the fact that, you know, James Bond working with The Rock. I, I'm still a little skeptical about Black Adam, but that's DC for you. You always got to approach it with just a little bit of skepticism, right? Um, okay, Halle Berry is joining Mark Wahlberg and Our Man from Jersey. Still doesn't have a director. Unusual to see Halle Berry sign on to a movie without a, a director, but uh, clearly the premise speaks to her. Uh, he's, you know, Wahlberg's playing like a blue collar James Bond in that. Wahlberg also signed on to star in uh, Stew, which I think was known as like Father Stew. And um, I think it's like a, a priest and overseeing like a boxer or something. I don't know. Uh, apparently it's been a big project for, for Mark Wahlberg. Um, who I like is that you know he's mixing up the our man from Jersey's and the Spencer Confidentials with uh, you know stuff like this and, and Joe Bell, which is still uh, awaiting release. That's where like he walks across the the country uh, after his uh, you know to get the word out about bullying. Uh, casting stuff: Forrest Whitaker joining Tom Hardy's movie Havoc from Gareth Evans. I don't know what the role is going to be there, if he's going to be the bad guy or not. Because, like, remember, wasn't Forrest Whitaker, like, being eyed for, like, a villain in The Crow or something like that? I just, I wonder if, if like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that could be interesting, depending on, on the role there. Daniel Radcliffe signing on to play the villain in Lost City of D. I, I like that. I like the idea of, of Harry Potter as a villain in a movie with, you know, stars that people might actually see rather than, you know, whatever the hell Daniel Radcliffe's been up to the last few years. Uh, Andy Garcia in Father of the Bride. I forget if we mentioned this last week. Listen, I, I really like Andy Garcia. Always have, um, you know, and this is a, a Latinx remake, a reboot of Father of the Bride. I think the family is going to be Cuban-American. You know, you Google Cuban movie stars, it's not a long list. Andy Garcia is probably at the top of it, which is probably how he got this gig. But this feels like Grandfather of the Bride to me. Like, he, I just... I would have cast Andy Garcia as like the father of the bride in like 1995 or something. Um, so a bit of an unusual choice, but I also, if they wanted to stay true to, to the way the character's written, I, I don't know what other options they really had. Uh, Derek Delgadio cast in Steven Soderbergh's Kimi. Odd. I mean, he's not an actor, but I, I think what we've learned basically is that you don't, there are, there's no such thing as, I mean, there are actors, there's capital A actors, but it's like anybody can be an actor, right? Can't they? Uh, I always like what like David Spade had to say about, about acting. Like it's not hard, you know, Jennifer Hudson, who's trained, trains her whole life to be a singer on American Idol, comes in like eighth place on that competition, goes and does her first movie, uh, you know, and wins an Oscar for it. Or Kuvanjane Wallace, like, you know, eight-year-old girl, does her first movie, gets an Oscar nomination over all these veteran performers who've been studying the craft of acting for, for decades. Uh, so I don't know that it's necessarily the hardest thing. I really like Derek Delgadio's presence in his in and of itself Hulu special. Um, I don't know if he's going to be doing any tricks in this Soderbergh movie or whatever, but sure, okay. Um, sounds interesting. Bo Burnham, this one was big, cast as Larry Bird 
in the HBO uh, ser untitled series about the Showtime era Lakers. Jason Siegel also joined the cast as Lakers assistant coach Paul Westhead. Uh, both tall guys. I mean, I think it'd be weird to have like little short actors in this. I feel like those are both uh, very capable six footers. Bo Burnham, I think, is like six five. It's like the first thing you notice about the guy. He's just gi gigantic. Um, kind of an insult to play Larry Bird. Like, I don't think any actor in Hollywood wants to be cast as Larry Bird. He's not exactly a good looking guy. And I say that as a Larry Bird fan, that's his, his book right there, Drive. Um, you know, this is a Celtics house, household. Uh, Larry Bird is the man. He's basketball Jesus. December 7th, his birthday. I celebrate every year. Thank God for, for Larry. Um, but Bo Burnham, interesting choice for sure. Um, but but could be cool. Again, he's 6'5". He's Larry was 6'9". Like there's, there's not a lot of actors you're going to get. And it's a small part. It's a Lakers show. The Celtics played Lakers twice a year. I mean, yeah, he has a friendship with Magic, but I just, you know, it's little small parts that these guys will be populating. But be sure and check out our article with Max Borenstein, the writer of that show, because he sort of talked about how it's his love letter to basketball and to, you know, just the, the, um, to Los Angeles, really, and, uh, and said it's like structurally it's going to resemble the, the crown. So check out that article on Collider.com. Uh, this was big news. Evan Peters cast as Jeffrey Dahmer in Monster, the series from, uh, you know, Ryan Murphy. I really like that casting. Evan Peters, he kind of he kind of has these like serial killer eyes. Um, he's a member of like the, the Ryan Murphy family and, and everything. Uh, I, I like the idea of him working with Richard Jenkins, who's going to be playing Dahmer's father. And they got some other interesting actors on that show. But uh, yeah, I... I was definitely looking to see who, who would be cast as Dahmer. And when they announced Evan Peters, I kind of did a, a head nod. It's like, yeah, I, I can see that. I like that a lot. Check out American Animals if you haven't uh, yet, because he's really good. Uh, Sony is doing a Bewitched movie, although this one is not going to be, you know, quite the same like goofy rom-com. I, I, they may be taking it a bit of a darker direction, possibly. Um, I, I still don't understand the point of, of doing this. I mean, okay, yeah, Mission Impossible is the greatest franchise, and that's an old, like, 60s TV show or whatever, but, like, maybe WandaVision sort of stoked the flames for, for the revival of, of these kinds of shows, but uh, it seems like a, just a stale title that, like, today's moviegoers would have no interest in, for, especially when you don't even have a streaming service to stick it on when it only turns out okay. Like, are people going to go to the theaters for a fucking Bewitched movie? It's a weird development choice. Uh, we learned this week that the Oscars will not have a single host. You know, it's sad that they can't get a single host. Um, although the show probably works better with, you know, a variety of personalities. There's also apparently a big, a big pushback on the no Zoom rule, which I'm sure they'll walk back like a dozen other Academy announcements in the last few years. Uh, yeah, basically people are like, I can't just fly in someone who's going to quarantine like 10 days ahead of time or even five days. And then they can't even go home to, you know, for, for another five or 10 days after the show. So you're just, you're paying for these hotel rooms. They are not going to be like holiday in hotel rooms, right? Uh, they got to be nice for a hotel room. So it's just like, it's a huge budget, a budgetary expense. And, you know, if you didn't have to do the quarantines, okay, then you bring in the talent for, for a night or two, for maybe the weekend, three nights. But, you know, the, just the fact that 
You've got quarantines that would have to book in on either side. All these productions would have to like shut down if you're, if you're talking about all the nominees coming, right? They're all working on other stuff. So now you've got to shut down those productions for a week, two weeks, maybe even longer. It's just, uh, it's a very expensive decision. Um, I, I like the idea that, that they don't want, you know, boring Zoom speeches where you thank your agent and your manager. Like it's, Soderbergh's trying to do something different. I'm glad that he's in charge because I also think the talent will respect him. But, but uh, yeah, between the personal publicists and the studio executives, I imagine that we will see a reversal on this rule in the coming days. Um, there's some quotes this week about Michael Keaton sort of hedging on the flash. He was kind of very non-committal. I, I don't really see him dropping out at this point because they probably have to really retool the script. Um, but it, I just thought that was interesting that he wasn't like gung-ho to be like, yeah, I can't wait to get back in the bat suit and like have some fun with this character and explore different timelines and stuff. He was just very like, it was just a weird, a, a weird response. I, I do wonder if something's going on there. Uh, three more Game of Thrones spinoffs announced, Nymeria, The Sneestake, and Flea Bottom. If you want my opinion for it, you're not going to get it because I don't give a shit. Uh, Derek Kolstad. I did like five articles on Derek Kolstad this week, maybe four. I've lost track. It was thousands of words. Uh, we, we got updates from him on Splinter Cell, Just Cause, hit the Hitman series where Hitman's going to, you know, the first episode at least, he's going to have hair. You're going to see Hitman with a full head of hair. And then at the end, he discovers the, the barcode and probably ends up shaving his head. Uh, you know, Colstead talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and about nobody. And he's just like super busy. Everybody wants to be in business with Derek Colstead. So check out everything he had to say on Collider. Um, we had to bid farewell to a few people this week. Uh, last week, it was Yafit Kodo. This week, George Seagull. George Seagull. So George Seagull. I'm going to say George Seagull. And Jessica Walter from Arrested Development. And Larry McMurtry who uh, won an Oscar for Brokeback Mountain, and Mums, Craig Grant, who played Poet on Oz and just worked uh, with Soderbergh on his new movie, um, No Sudden Move. Uh, yeah, gonna, gonna miss all these folks. I, I, I really liked Mums on, um, on Oz. Brokeback Mountain, one of the greatest romantic dramas ever written. I mean, it's just a beautiful new movie. And like that, I read that short story by Annie Proulx, uh, and, and that, that was some heavy lift, lifting to adapt that. Like that, that's like a very short, story. It's not all on the page there. So Larry McMurtry, Diana Osana did a beautiful job. Um, he also did Lonesome Dove and, you know, uh, Terms of Endearment and The Last Picture Show. So he's been, you know, writing masterworks since like the 70s, if not before. Uh, yeah, great, great writer. Uh, Jessica Walter, Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development. She was just always hilarious, uh, always with a drink in her hand and, and, a, and a wink. And, um, you know, it made me want to watch and play Misty for me, which I've still never seen. So I may have to go back and check that out this weekend. Uh, my favorite Jessica Walter movie, uh, which I was not in most of the obituaries, is PCU, where she plays uh, the president of, of the college going up against, uh, you know, Jeremy Piven and John Favreau with the help of David Spade. And then George Siegel, uh, that one, that one hurts. Uh, so the Goldbergs is the only network sitcom that I watch. Um, and they paid, a, you know, they did a little in memoriam, a very quick little tribute to him. I imagine that they'll do something for, uh, a little bit more extensive after his last episode. 
But this guy, you know, has been around since the 60s. He was nominated for an Oscar for Who's uh, Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He was in this, you know, in a ton of movies in the 70s that I really want to go back and check out, like California Split and The Hot Rock. I actually um, watched Roller Coaster from 1977 this week with thanks to Drew McWeeny's Plex. Thank you, Drew. Please subscribe to Drew's newsletter. Uh, and um, it, it was it was fun. It was like I think it's a movie that's like kind of ripe for a remake. It's it's Timothy Bottoms as like a mad bomber who's threatening to blow up these various roller coasters, and George Siegel's like the the you know theme park roller coaster inspector who who uh, you know gets caught up in this cat and mouse game with him. That that was that was good. A little long, but it was like a Hitchcock thriller meets a disaster flick. So uh, we're going to miss all those people. RIP to to all four of them. Uh, okay, we're coming up on towards the end of the show. I'm going to try to run through these really quickly. We've got trailers for Stowaway. The Anna Kendrick, Tony Collette space movie looked interesting. Uh, Separation, William Brent Bell's new horror movie with Rupert Friend. Had a couple, you know, good good jump scares, some decent horror imagery in that one. Murder Berry Win, which looks like a very tiny, no budget indie, but I like the premise about like three guys who create an independent board game uh, that's sort of all about like committing a murder and, and hiding the body. And, you know, then they find themselves with a body on their hands and they kind of have to play the game. Uh, and then Four Good Days, which is a, a Glenn Close, a Mila Kunis addiction drama where, where, you know, Mila is trying to kick heroin. Or, you know, she's being offered the, this miracle drug that's going to help her, but she needs to be clean for four days if she's going to use it. Uh, looking forward to to all of those movies. Uh, reviews this week, Invincible. I wrote a review of Invincible for Collider.com. I gave it a B. Uh, I've seen some more negative takes out there on the internet. Listen, as someone who doesn't really like animation and doesn't really like superheroes, I was into it. Um, I will probably finish watching it. It reminded me of just like a Saturday morning cartoon, but albeit one very more, uh, it was a lot more violent than the ones that I remember. But a great voice cast. I really liked like the the end of the, the first episode. Um, I just think, you know, the, the episodes are just a little long. It, it's a show that's not quite as radical as Amazon's The Boys, but listen, if you're hard up for superhero content, uh, and I know Invincible was a big comic book, check it out. You know, check it, check out the first episode or two. Uh, you know, it's, it's from Robert Kirkman who, uh, you know, own, operates Skybound, which owns the Schmodown. So it was kind of weird giving my, my boss a B this week, but uh, I hope he took it in stride. Um, Nobody is, is finally coming out this weekend, the Bob Odenkirk movie. Like, like I said, I, um, I was disappointed the first time that I saw Nobody. I, 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 we went up to New Hampshire with my brothers. Uh, I, I had arranged you know, to have the link that weekend. And, and we all watched it late at night. And we, did, we were all, you know, pretty fucked up, to be honest. But um, uh, they were all, we were all just kind of a little underwhelmed. Um, and I think part of that was like the villain, part of it was the third act. Because uh, there's like a couple great action scene sequences in this, right? Um, Ilya Nashler is really talented behind the camera. Like he's just a kind of like a, a, a whiz. I just think he maybe needed a little bit of a stronger script. Having said that, I watched the movie again a second time with my dad and I liked it. Like I, I could, I could forgive. I didn't, my expectations weren't as high the second time, obviously. Uh, and I could forgive some of the, the problems that I had with it and, and just sort of sit back and enjoy it. And it, it, it's good. Like, you know, we, we've missed this kind of movie and, and but it's a, it's a, it's a bravura return from, from Bob Odenkirk. Uh, like you've never seen him before. I watched the father. 
which, you know, was like, um, it was good. And, and I think Anthony Hopkins is very deserving of his nomination, but don't try to tell me that's a better performance than Riz Ahmed or frankly, even Chadwick Boseman. Um, I, I do not understand that argument. I don't understand. Uh, well, uh, one second, but um, yeah, the father, a good movie, but it didn't hit me as it, as I thought it would have emotionally, mainly because you spend most of the running time sort of trying to figure out what is going on. It's a very confusing movie structurally uh, which, you know, in the end proves to be a smart choice. I think it sort of echoes the, the you know, what the main character is going through with, with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia, whatever, whatever's going on there. But um, it just, uh, yeah, a little bit too much of a puzzle, you know, to, to really just give yourself over to the movie and, and let it, you know, manipulate your, your emotional strings. I saw Ben David Grabinski's Happily, uh, which was a bit of a disappointment. I thought it started okay, but kind of went off the rails in the second act. The Courier, excuse me, The Courier, Benedict Cumberbatch, spy movie. Uh, I thought Rachel Brosnahan and Jesse Buckley were pretty wasted. And, um, you know, Benedict and, and his, uh, the other lead, who's playing like the, the Russian guy, they were both good. It just the movie felt like Diet Bridge of Spies, which some people would say felt like died bridge of spies <laughs> on its own you know uh old movies i watched this week ghost the vanishing little children rushmore yeah ha- had a had a, a watch a bunch of 90s movies well not little children's not 90s but yeah they were all pretty good all held, all held up really well uh, i also read tj newman's new book Falling, which doesn't come out until july i don't know if reviews are embargoed on this thing or not i, I read it over the course of three days, probably could have done it in two uh, if I you know, wasn't having uh, romantic drama issues, but um, it was really good. This is the book written by a flight attendant who wrote it like on red-eye flights while all the passengers were asleep. She sold the rights for like a million dollars. She sold the film rights for another million dollars to Universal. Uh, Don Winslow sent the book to me, the, the author. He was the one who was like, oh, I've got something that I think you'd really like to read. He'd sent me The Chain a couple years ago from Adrian McKinty. And those are the two guys quoted on the cover of this book following. It is, here's the, here's the, the, the story. It is about a, a pilot, a male pilot, whose family is kidnapped. And basically the terrorists say, you're going to make a choice. You, you either got to kill, we're either going to kill your family and you're going to land the plane that you're flying safely, or your family gets to live and you're going to crash this plane, killing everybody on board. Uh, that is, it, it plays like speed in the air. It's a, a very quick read of, you know, a real page turner. Uh, I don't want to say more for fear of spoiling anything, but it was, um, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of people reading that book on the beach this summer. I think it's going to be a big hit and I can't wait to see who, who Universal gets to direct the thing and, and who, uh, who stars in it. Um, but yeah, very nice, you know, debut from, from TJ Newman. Uh, I wanted to, let's see, a quick mailbag question from Derek Walker. Guys, here's the thing that, here's the issue that I'm having with the mailbag stuff. You have to put either mailbag one word or mailbag two words. I prefer one because that's what I search. Put that in the subject line because if it's just, if it's anything else in the subject line, I'm just going to lose it. You know, I need to do a better job of maybe checking the the Insider Plus DMs or, or my Facebook Instant Messenger th- stuff for these questions. But, you know, I just know before the show, I'm always searching my inbox, jeff at collider.com for the word mailbag. That is the best chance you have of getting a mailbag question read on this show. 
Uh, anyways, Derek, a couple weeks ago, he asked me, I totally missed it. A couple years ago, it was reported that Michael B. Jordan and director Ryan Coogler were going to be doing a movie together called Wrong Answers, best based off the test cheating scandal. Has there been any uh, movement on this movie? Is it dead in the water? Uh, I think that's a really good question, Derek. I have not heard anything on Wrong Answer in years. I haven't seen it in like the agency grids that I get my hands on from time to time. Uh, it always sounded like a really interesting movie particularly in the wake of like the college admissions like you know scandal uh i'm surprised that that project hasn't sort of heated back up but on the other hand ryan cougar has been very busy doing black panther so he, i imagine he just hasn't had the time maybe he'll end up handing that project off to a, a you know young protege of color of his or maybe he's just like let me get blank black panther 2 done and we'll circle back to that but no i haven't heard anything and that's pretty much the show this week. I did want to uh, plug an upcoming episode of Blockbuster Mentality in which I uh, you know, talk in depth about the insider for an hour. I love the insider. Now the cat is totally, the cat's totally out of the bag. Uh, so look forward to, you know, keep an eye out for that episode um, because I love going on that show and I think we've done some really good uh, episodes there. Um, all right, this show's getting too long. I got to wrap it up. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Uh, Pray for my broken little heart. It has just been quite a year. Uh, I know it's been a tough year on everybody. We're still here. We're still standing. Hang in there. Keep washing your hands, wearing a mask. Get a vaccination if you can. And I will see you next week. Till then. Later.